this summer, our family vacation took us through the parks of southwestern Colorado and into Utah. And we spent a few days in the town of Moab, which, which is uh, just next to Arches National Park, a park known for its beautiful stone arch formations. Um, one morning, some of us rose early before sunrise to hike to this iconic arch known as Delicate Arch, you see on the screen there. It's featured on the Utah license plates. And we took glorious photos of our successful hike, and we climbed to the top of those rock formations to record our accomplishments. You know, we love days like these that make our lives look Instagram-worthy. Those are the highs of life that we celebrate and that we want to share with others. And in many ways, our photos of that trip are a reflection of what we as Americans love to do. Find a mountain to climb. And when we do, we celebrate our success. But not only that, we let other people know about our glorious accomplishments, right? But not all of us are so brash. And so we do it a little more subtly. We'll post the same photos, but we'll go hashtag grateful or hashtag blessed to enjoy God's creation. Don't worry, I've done it too, okay. During the day when the sun is shining bright and we're getting things done, we're feeling good about ourselves, we see the world in all of its hues and colors, but often when it gets dark, that's when our outlook changes. And that's what's happening to the writer of Lamentations. Things were far from the vision of what he viewed as God's intent for the people of God. Jerusalem, the city of God, the heart of Israel had fallen to invaders. But not just because of Egypt and of Assyria. But Israel fell because of pe the people's sins, as we're told in Lamentations 1. Also because they rejected God's word sent through the prophets, as they said in uh, Lamentations 2, verse 8 and 14. And they, fell, they lost what they had because their leaders had led them astray, as we're told in chapter 4, verse 13. God had warned the Israel, but the people had did not heed the warning. And now they were suffering the consequences. Life was hard. They lost their homes. If you read the whole book of Lamentations, it's a list of everything that they've lost on top of what Jess had just read for us in, the, in, in chapter 3. They lost their homes their fields, their livelihood, their work became hard. They lost their freedom. In chapter 5, verse 8, it says that even the slaves ruled over them. They were at the bottom of the societal ladder. Every single person had lost their dignity and respect. All the writer and the people of Israel could see and remember was loss and hardship. Hope seemed loss. Now, in our culture of comfort and and victory and celebration, marked by fireworks and sports championships and statues and monuments. And, and we try to live our lives like it's a Nike slogan, right? Hardship and unexpected circumstances, they challenge when they come. They challenge our view of what we feel like our lives should be like. And this year may be the closest that all of America has come, and all of the world actually, has come to confront our glittery ideals of what life can be like, at least in recent memory. I think we could come up with our own series of memories to compete with the writer of Lamentations. 
Just think of 2020 so far. If you're able to think back to January, you know, we had murder hornets that were attacking. Antarctica is now melting. I just read an article about that. Forests and homes are burning. Hurricanes are laying cities to waste. Impeachment attempts earlier in the year were, had failed. A duke and a duchess walked away from their royal life. Stock markets crashed and then now have risen again. Mass graves were dug. The worst locusts in 70 years have swarmed Kenya. Black bodies here in America are falling to police, to pandemic, and to poverty. And protests for justice and rights on both sides of the political spectrum are daily occurrences now. The Bible and, and a church are held up for, for a photo op, while pastors and churches are getting fined for expressing their religious freedom. We're forced to mask ourselves and distance ourselves from one another. We are restricted in our travel and in our gatherings for the arts or for music and sports and also for expressions of our faith. Workers are being furloughed and their hours are being cut. And parents, now, you find that you're trying to get your children to stay on the screen for six hours a day for school rather than take them away from the screen. And I'm sure you can continue adding and adding and adding to that list. Plus, we've lost some dear friends through this year. As we recall the events of this past year, even this year's not even done, we're nine months into it, we are forced to confront the limits of our abilities and how much of our lives and circumstances are actually beyond our control, no matter how strong or smart or rich we might be. And that's the present state from, uh, in chapter 3, from verses 1 to 21, where we're told, He has walled me in. It feels like life. And God has walled us in. There's suffering, there's pain, and there's sickness. And we can barely tell the difference between sickness and death. And all we see is what's wrong, all the hazards and all the risks. In verse 19 and 20, all that the writer remembers, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Lamentations gives us the freedom to remember the worst in our situations, and that can be debilitating. The writer of Lamentations recalls all that has gone wrong in their lives, but he makes one very important recollection, one important memory in verse 21, when he says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. There is indeed hope. And what is that hope? The writer continues in verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. As he re redirects his memory, his mind turns to God's goodness. He says, his compassion never fails. I'm remembering the great love of God. The writer turns from these present horrors, these present challenges to things that are always true about God. Hope depends on who God is rather than on our ability to turn things around. The words of lamentation encourage us to focus on God's ability 
based on recalling what God has done in the past, not our ability to overcome. The hope is grounded in the Lord's great love. The English word is, uh, is rendered great love. It comes from the Hebrew word hesed. And in other translations, it is rendered the steadfast love. It suggests, this word suggests a character that is constant and not fickle. It's not subject to the whims and circumstances that we find ourselves in. And for God, this, loyal, this loyalty and this fidelity is based not on feeling, but on, on the character of God himself. They are not dependent on the other person holding up their end of the relationship. Instead, loyal love is part of God's nature. God is obligated towards us because of his own character and nature. North Park Theological Seminary professor Soong Chan Ra writes on this, saying, how God acts and feels towards us is not dependent on our behaving a certain way, but based on his fidelity to his own word and his unwavering loyalty. Another commentator named Delbert Hilliers reflects on this truth of God's steadfast love that offers us true hope, saying suffering and evil and pain are not the Lord's final intention. The Lord has the last word because his love is never finished. And we see the ultimate revelation of God's great love for us in the gift of God's Son. Jesus, who lives this life the kind of life that we would hope to live, but we would never be able to. And he dies the death that we all deserve to die because of sin. And he rises from the grave to prove that God's loyal love is faithful to us, but mostly that is faithful to God's own promises. And Jesus passes through the darkest season of any life so that we don't have to. You know, in our culture, we're often trying to get through the dark seasons and the valleys of life as quickly as possible because we're in a rush to get back to the light and to the mountaintop so we can keep posting on Instagram. But it's in those dark places and valleys that God often uses to remind us of his loyal love. We are forced to face our emotions and our sins and our pride. And in those moments, if we allow ourselves to hope in God's loyal love, we are led to recall how God's love has been at work in our lives in the past. California pastor Rick Warren presents a helpful image for us. And rather than conceive of life as this series of mountaintops and valleys, instead, he says, consider life as running on two tracks of a railroad. One rail is the highs. The other rail is the lows. And there are seasons when we are banking and leaning more on one rail than the other and feeling, feeling that rail more than the other. But both rails are always under us. Both are present. And in seasons where life is flowing, it's helpful for, for us to pay attention to those more difficult parts of our lives that are present. But they just may not be felt as acutely. And vice versa, when we're leaning the other way and we're feeling the pains of life more acutely, it's helpful for us to remember and pay attention to what, how God has been demonstrating his faithfulness to us by recalling God's faithfulness in the past. 
You know, one day in our vacation, I led the family on a hike after dinner to a nearby trail. And it involved driving a few hundred yards off the pavement and walking on sand and gravel and scrambling down uh, a, a into a gully to, to find a creek that I wanted to check out and bring the family to the next day. It wasn't a long hike, but I failed to recognize how quickly it would get dark there. We'd gone after dinner. In Moab, there's actually a light restriction that limits the amount of light in the city. So there is much less ambient lighting from city streetlights than you would experience in an urban area like D.C. So we started just before dusk, and as we walked for about 20 minutes, it began to get dark pretty quickly because we dropped into the gully, and the sun had already fallen behind the mountains. Here I was. I had a two-year-old, uh, my two-year-old niece on my shoulders and a six-year-old tagging along hiking in my flip-flops, or, uh, or do you call them sandals? I don't know. My mind quickly began to run through all the possible risks. How far are we? I pull out my phone and I look at my trail app. It's like, how far are we on the trail? Uh, and it's getting this dark. How, when do we have to turn around? And when would this be too dangerous with no light, except the lights on our phones? We're wearing our sandals, and, and there's cacti. And in the dark, it's very likely for one of us to kick that, and it happened to me on another walk. There are rattlesnakes and, and loose rock, and there are big cats there, and not the kind of cats that you want to meet. And getting lost, not being able to find our trail back in the dark because of all the forks. I went through all these scenarios of risks. What if I tripped or slipped while I was carrying my niece? What was the risk of injury to her if I kept her on my shoulders because I could move faster versus walking with her on the ground, which would take a lot longer and keep us in the dark longer. Can you see why I love hiking? All the possible bad things ran through my mind, but I just kept telling everyone, we're almost there, guys. Just keep going. You know, things were very different in the daytime. It would have been very easy to navigate and see all the ris risks with the sun shining brightly. We could enjoy the water and the views, which is what we did the next day. Everybody's laughing and having fun, but at night, it's very different. We eventually started making our way back to the cars, and as, we, as it got darker, our eyes adjusted to the darkness and the pale moonlight. And we began to recognize the trail getting, as we got closer to the cars. And as we saw the cars in the distance, I felt a sense of comfort. I don't know about the rest of the group. In the darkness, it's easy to be overwhelmed by the risks and the dangers, and the confusion, and the difficulty. But it's if we take the time to adjust to that darkness and remember to look at what light we do have around us in the moon shining, that's always been there. We can find comfort. And as I reflected further on this situation, I realized that the moon, the light from the moon, isn't actually the source of light. It's a reflection of the sun that we can't even see. It's on the other side of the planets. The true source of light that brings life and warmth and comfort is the sun. And even though the sun cannot be seen directly at night, the presence and its effects can be experienced if we look in the right places. Even though our situation may not be what we expected, wherever the trails of our lives may lead us, we may look forward to the bright light of day to reveal sights and lead us to praise but in those inevitable seasons where trails lead us into the valleys and the darkness, we can also hope in the constant light and life and love of our eternal living God. As we lament this evening, we are invited to look to those places 
where the presence and the effects of the living God may be experienced, even though our situation may not be what we had expected. There is hope, friends. There is hope for our lives. There's hope for our nation and our, for our world. There's hope for this pandemic. Not because we're ingenious, but because God is faithful to his promises and to his character. Amen.